0: Well, thank you for having me here today. I've been asked to talk about this idea of work-life balance, what happens when the two worlds collide. I'm going to start off with a video. Now, this video is by a comedian actor by the name of Sam Richardson. I recognized him when I saw him. He's in a lot of movies as a support character. But let's take a look at this video, if we can play that now. So someday, I'll have it all together. How many of you have asked that question? I think I've been asking that question for the last 25 years. And maybe like her, maybe we never will. So today I'm going to talk about this pursuit of balance, but I need to um, define the problem first. What I'm not talking about today is when our work somehow affects our our life at home. For instance, I used to be a police officer, and I actually worked with Chris's dad at Petrie. I was a detective at CIB there. And you see a lot of things, and it's very stressful. You have a lot of emotions. I actually had post-traumatic stress disorder. And I took that into my home life, and that affected my marriage, my relationship with my kids my friendships, but that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is when we feel as if our work is pulling us in one direction. Our bosses are asking us to do something, things that we don't necessarily want to do, so we feel pulled in this direction, but on the other side, we have our families, we have our wives, we've got our kids, we've got our friends, and they're pulling us in this direction too. And it feels like we're in this tug-of-war, this tug-of-war that we just can't win, and we feel like we're about to get split into two. And that's what I'm talking about today. on the way to work this week, I was listening to this podcast by a bunch of psychologists, and they said there's two different types of people. There's integrators and there's segregators. Now, integrators are those people that have no problem seeing work and, and home life merging together. They have no problems there. They have no problems working at night. And on the other hand, we have segregators, and there's these people that, that don't want work to actually have anything to do with their home life. They gave an example of a firefighter. When he came home, had to take his shoes off, have a shower, Um, before he could even say hello to his wife, give his kids a hug. It was as if, in their words, that there was this ritual that he was doing where he was shedding his work life before he could enter the sanctity of his home. And the thing is, sometimes we act as integrators and segregators and we don't realise that our actions actually affect the other person unintentionally. For example, there was this organisation that thought it would be a very good idea to have an on-site childcare centre. Sounds awesome. It's awesome for integrators. But for segregators who want their lives to be separate from work, took offense to that. They actually felt that the the workplace values no longer aligned with their own values. Another example is with segregators. I was working as a head of middle school at Westmoreland Anglican College a few years ago. And a few people um, came up with this idea that perhaps we have these rules in place where emails can only be sent between the hours of 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. And that was fantastic for the segregators, but for people who are integrators, actually like to work at home. And they felt that these rules were impinging on their rights to do their work. So, up front, I'm an integrator. So when I'm talking today, I'm talking from the, uh, from the view of an integrator. Now, I understand there will be segregators here as well. So if I say something that seems to grate against you, it's not intentionally. It's because I'm seeing life through the eyes of an integrator. So why am I going to speak about this? Well, when Chris first asked me to do this, I told my work colleagues and they just laughed at me. <laughs> they just said, You are the wrong person to talk about work life balance. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, Well, who do we actually want to hear preaching up at the front? Do we want to hear about people who have their lives together? I don't think so. We want to hear about people who have their own struggles. So I'm a head of campus, a uh, secondary school in the Gold Coast called Trinity Lutheran College. I don't live at the Gold Coast. I live in South Brisbane, it takes me about an hour to hour and a half each way, so about three hours of travelling a day to get to work, in a busy job as it is. On top of that, I'm also a member of a, a, a board member of a school council as well, um, I'm also studying my masters in theology at Australian Lutheran College, um, I also have another church that I'm involved in, I like to exercise every day if I can, I'm a husband, I'm a father and my life is really, really busy and I'm an absolute failure at life I think. Um, so when I'm speaking here, I'm speaking to you as an authentic, genuine person who messes this up. And, how, and what I want to do is talk to you about how I sort of navigate this whole landscape. So the first thing I want to do is talk about some biblical principles. The first one I want to talk about is the Bible's pretty clear. It's about we're asked to live a focused life. Interesting, though, is that there was this psychologist called Martin Seligman. I don't know if you've heard of Martin Seligman. He sort of started this uh, positive psychology movement. In his book, he talks about that psychology for many, many years is looking at what is wrong with humanity, what's wrong with humans. And that's where we get all these diagnostic tools and textbooks looking at what's wrong with people. He wanted to look at what was right with people. And what he found was, in order to live a flourishing life, to live a healthy life, to live a joyful life, a happy life, one of the key attributes is that you need to have purpose and meaning in life. The second um, principle here is to keep our eyes on Christ. As Christians or non-Christians, the Bible has a lot to offer us. Jesus shows us how to live and actually how to have life as well. But Christ came down to earth for a reason. He came to earth as part of God's redemptive plan, his plan to save humanity, his plan to bring people back into relationship with God. But we're part of that plan too. Our part in this plan is also to communicate the gospel to people. There's this thing called the Great Commission, and as Christians, we're called to bring others into a relationship back with God. So the second principle here is keep our eyes on Christ. The third one is is that life is actually full of divided interests. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he actually wrote that sometimes he wishes everyone was single like him. Why? Because life is complicated. When I was single, all I had to worry about was me. When I got married, I had to worry about us. When we had kids, that us got bigger and bigger. Life makes life harder. Life actually complicates life. The third thing is, is balance actually biblical? I'm going to go through a few um, different characters in the Bible. I could probably pick anyone in the Bible, really, but we'll go through these. So Moses, if you don't know the story of Moses, Moses' job, he was tasked with leading the Israelite nation out of captivity in Egypt into the promised land of Canaan. He wandered the desert with these people for about 40 years, and he actually never made it to the promised land. He became so close, but God didn't want him to cross over into the promised land. Joshua did. Did he have balance? I don't think so. King David. King David was chosen to be the next king after King Saul. When King Saul found out about this, he hunted him down, and David was, was running away from King Saul, hiding in caves. Did he have balance? don't think so. The Apostle Paul, as I said, wrote much of the New Testament. You may not realize, but he actually spent two years in prison and then another two years in house arrest. Whilst he was under house arrest, he wrote three letters that we find in the Bible. He didn't have balance. Christ. Christ came down to earth, God, in human form, born in a manger, born of a virgin, but he came down to die on the cross. He came to die on the cross to save us. He knew that. And the night before he um, was crucified, he prayed to God and he said, please take this cup away from me. He He had fears just like we did, but he still knew he had to die on the cross. And after his his hands were nailed to the cross and his side was pierced and he had a thorn of crowns, the last words he said before he took his last breath was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That doesn't sound like balance either. So maybe balance isn't a biblical thing. And our pursuit of balance isn't something that we should be stressed about. Yes, we need to have a good work-life balance for our own sanity. But maybe it's not something that's biblical. And if we try to achieve balance, maybe we're just going to collide. Our two worlds start colliding. So what I want to do is actually look at, at redefining what work life might be. Traditionally, we treat work as a person's professional pursuits and life a person's family and personal pursuits. What if we rephrase these and made work anything we have to do and life anything we want to do? I'm a maths teacher, so I like graphs and I like, I, I like models and I like um, axes. So we've got some axes here. On the horizontal... We have life. So, on one end, the joyful life. On the other end, the joyless life. The vertical axis here, purposeless work and purposeful work. Now, we spend parts of our life in all of these sections. And I'm going to start unpacking this. So, we'll start at the bottom right. The joyful life, but purposeless work. We spend some time there. For me, I play computer games. I'm probably a 43-year-old child. Okay? I don't know if anyone else likes playing computer games here, but I love playing computer games. Each day, I try to, before I go to bed, is play at least one game, so I at least feel like my, work, my day isn't just work, work, work. But it's superficial. I could try to justify it and say there's purpose to it, that I actually get energy from that, but really, it's purposeless work, but it brings me joy, and I enjoy it. The next aspect is purposeless work, but in a a joyless life. Misery. I don't know if you've ever had your boss ask you to do a task that you see no point in. I know I have. You don't know why you're doing it, but you have to do it. It brings you no joy, and it's purposeless. That's misery. You certainly don't want to spend much of your life into that, that aspect, that quadrant. The next one is joyless life, purposeful work, drudgery. That could be washing the dishes, washing your car, washing your clothes, the things that you have to do They're purposeful, but they're joyless. For me, I'm a teacher, I'm a maths teacher, and I love teaching. But what I hate in my job is marking. I don't think anyone likes marking who's a teacher. You know it's important that you give feedback to your kids, but it's drudgery. If all my job was was marking, I don't understand when teachers actually put their hands up to be NAPLAN markers or markers for the new ATAR system. I have no idea, but some people obviously like it, but for me, I don't like it at all. But where we want to spend most of our time is in the joyful life and purposeful work and it's fulfillment. It's the things that give us energy and if we can spend most of our time in this fulfilled area then this whole idea of work-life balance isn't a problem. We actually enjoy what we're doing. We can be super busy but we actually enjoy it and we get energy from it. The question is how do we spend our time in that that quadrant? So there's a few things I want to talk about here first. There's um, short-term applications and there's a long-term one. The short-term is not going to fix anything, but at least it might start getting our lives in order. Prioritise. Look at the things that you have to do and rate them and spend your time on the things that give you fulfilment. Yes, you have to do the other things, but try to get rid of everything that you don't want to do. Certain things you have to do. But long-term is where life actually changes. And I call that alignment. Alignment. And this can take a long time. Fifteen years ago, I, I left the police. And, I, and one of the reasons when I was younger, I joined the police because I, I had this really, this sense of justice and I wanted to make a difference in the world. But as I got older, um, what I wanted to do, what, what really sparked me was seeing people come to Christ. And I wanted to do something where I could do that. So I went back into teaching. And then I started teaching. I realized I had some influence but not much influence. I was part of schools that I thought, you know, will probably do better in this area. And so I made a decision that I would like to be a school principal one day so that my ministry life is actually my work life. And that meant that I didn't actually have to compete with church and work and have my ministry at church. and only My work was my ministry. And so I saved time. Another aspect of this is let's say you treat exercise as really important but also friendships. And sometimes if you have these separate worlds where... You know, friendship, exercise, work, your day gets so busy. So one of the things that I do now on the weekends is I train with friends. So I go to the gym with friends, I go running with friends, and those two worlds then collide and they're together and it saves time. So as far as possible, align your life so that those things that are really important to you, there's commonality across across all aspects of your life. The thing is, Christ said that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. And that's what it's really about. We're not going to experience the joyful life until we understand what it means to have life and have it to the full. You know, Christ came down in human form. He was God because he needed to die for us. There's this gap between us and God. And that gap is our sin. And any of us, if we truly reflect on ourselves, know that we can't do it ourselves. There's a passage in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7, that's my favourite. And Paul says in that, I do what I do not want to do and what I want to do, I don't. I do what I don't want to do. And that's our lives. That's the human condition. Paul was one of the the apostles. He couldn't get his life together. How the heck could we get our life together? We just can't. And so there's this gap between us and God that we can't just bridge ourselves. And so Christ came to die for us. He died as a penalty for our sins, as payment for our sins, so that we could be in a relationship with him. And, it's got, and the excellent thing about this is, it's got nothing to, about what we have to do at all. It's all based on trusting in Jesus, trusting that Christ's death on the cross is sufficient. And the thing is, I know that there's people in this room that are Christians, and you've heard this before. And as Christians, every time we hear that message, it just, it just affects us so deeply. But there's others of us in the room that may not be Christians, and you may not have heard that before, or maybe you've heard it heaps. But the simple message of Christianity is that all it takes is faith, nothing else. And if you have faith, if you trust in Jesus alone, then the Bible says you're saved. Not only that, the Holy Spirit is given as a gift. dwells in you, transforms you from the inside out, and you're about to start this awesome journey. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be better, but it's not going to be easy. So I remember when I was a kid, when I was 18, hearing this message, and it felt like God was actually sitting right beside me, tapping me on the shoulder, saying, follow me, follow me. If that's you, just trust in Jesus. Just trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you um, for giving me the opportunity to come here today to talk about this. We're all busy. We're so busy that some of our lives feel like it's absolutely out of control. You know, the thing is, we have our relationships at home. We have our marriages. We have our relationships with our friends. We have our work life too. And, and that, that tug of war is real. And we struggle so much. But we know that you came so that we might have life and have it to the full. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for sending your son down to earth to die for us. And all we have to do, all we have to do is trust in you, Lord. Trust in your death, your resurrection. And you give us your Holy Spirit to transform us on the inside out. We thank you for that, Lord.